0: Those things—they're actually awesome. They really are. If you can't hear—I mean, you know, mine's selective hearing is what I'm told—but—but but, uh, you actually hear. Wow, well, that's the loudest amen I got out of her in a long time. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. We know what we know what to preach on now, don't we? <laughs> All right. Let's take our Bibles and turn somewhere else. Let's turn to Ephesians five. <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm a preacher. I'll pick where I want to preach from. (laughs) You just preach at home. (laughs) Isn't it good to be saved where you can cut up and laugh? It's okay in church. I mean, uh, there's no disrespect to the gospel whatsoever. You know, we get end of the book, and we're going to get serious, okay? So tonight I want to give you something. I hope it'll be a help to you, and uh, you may already know much of this, of what I'm going to say tonight, and uh, some of you've heard this before, so uh, some of you haven't, so uh, hopefully it'll uh, give us a little bit of understanding about a local church. Now in the Bible, there's, uh, there's well, there's two churches. You've got the church, the the body of Christ, which is made up of, well, let me just say this, you've got local churches like this one here that's made up of baptized believers and you know and then you've got their churches and so forth and so on that are the same and then what you have is you have the body of Christ which is made up of all believers and that's made up of technically uh, local churches make up the the body of Christ and so there's two definitions if you will of the church so uh sometimes we well what we do is we add kind of like a third one and when we say like we're going to church uh, that we mean we're going to the building, but we actually are going to gather and assemble together because it is a called out an assembly. That's what Ecclesia means, uh, the church. So there's a couple definitions of that. And tonight we're going to talk about the local church. And uh, we're not going to get anything deep or anything like that. But I do want to just give you just a few things here and then... Um, And then we'll let you go. Matthew chapter number 16, and we're going to read two verses for our text. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 17. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what we have here in verse number 17 is we have the first time that the word church is mentioned in your Bible. If you were to start in the book of Genesis and go to Exodus and so forth and so on till you got to the book of Matthew, here would be the first place. It's the first mention. And a lot of times there's a, there's actually a doctrinal thing concerning that. There's the law of first mention. And, uh, and generally what happens with the law of first mention is wherever a word is used for the first time in the Bible typically or generally it's used in the same context throughout the rest of the Bible. That's not always the case, but for the most part you'll find that to be true. Here Jesus is talking about the church, but He's not talking about just a local church. He's talking about the body of Christ is what He's referring to here in the passage. And so He's talking about the church, but notice what He says in verse 18. He said that, "...Thou art Peter, and upon this rock..." I will build my church. Notice the word will. That's future tense. That clues you in that the church is not built yet, but He's going to build the church. The church is built on Him. The church as you and I know it today is built on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, and of course, I could say a whole lot of other things about that, but I'll, I'll move on. You see, the church is very important to Jesus, as we said this morning, and so it should be important to every believer. It should be important to you and me, and we should love the church. If Jesus... Jesus... Jesus cared enough about the church to die for it, then you and I ought to care enough about the church as well. I also believe that everything that's done is done under the umbrella of a local church. So going forward as the Lord leads, as we support missionaries, we won't be supporting missionaries that's not out of a local church. I believe that most permanent work is done out of the local church. I believe that uh, when, when, when a man is sent, he's sent from out of a local church. When the Lord sends him out, he's out of a local church. Now why, why is, why do we have that conviction? Why do we have that belief? Because you have guys that are not accountable to any local church. Therefore, if they're not going to be accountable to any local church, how do you know that when they get over to where they're going, that they're going to be accountable to the money that you give them? You see, we all, you know, how do we know that they're doctrinally straight? You know, how do we know that they've got the back? They ought to have the backing of their pastor and their church. And so when they're sent like that, they ought to have the backing of the local church. So we believe it's important that things are done under the umbrella of the local church. Um, You got a lot of folks that don't believe in the local church. They just believe. They just live their day. They get up daily and they just do their own thing or whatever. But I believe we ought to be a part of a local church. I'm not saying that the local church controls your ministry. If you're a missionary, uh, this, this church doesn't control any outside thing whatsoever. Uh, that's not the way we're, we function. That's not the way that the Lord set this up. But what you have is you have preaching and teaching. You have the support of missionaries and soul winning and and things like that. Nursing home ministries. All that should be done out of a local church. The local church that is led by Jesus Christ is the highest authority of organization or organism, if you will, scripturally. Now I don't mean that the local church control gets into your home and controls your home or controls your personal life. That's not what the local church is about. Uh, remember, we've talked about that on Wednesday nights about the the clergy over lady. And uh, we've talked about how that the Catholic church has a hierarchy system. And the, so that if you want to know anything spiritually, you've got to go to the priests and the bishops and the cardinals. Uh, and there's a hierarchy to that thing if you want to learn about the Bible. They actually encourage you not to read your Bible. You can't know it, so you have to go to them. And then they they can go to the latin and they can teach you like the latin vulgate and stuff like that all that stuff just just a, it's just a way to control people is what that is many people don't know the biblical structure of the local church so i'm convinced uh until we know how important uh and powerful that the local church is the light of the local church cannot shine to its fullest potential uh this church will only be so the, the potential of this church is will only go as far as we understand the potential of this local church, I'm trying to find the right way to put that. But, but if you don't think very much of your church, it's not going to go very far. I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, but if you care a great deal about your church, then God can take that and use that. But if you don't know the importance of it, then you won't support it with your heart. By support, I mean faithfully attend it. I mean by praying for it on a regular basis and, and 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 then financially supporting it as God blesses. I mean, after all, how do you think the bills of the church get paid, right? Uh the AEP doesn't say, Well, we'll just donate this month's bill to you. Or uh, American Water Company doesn't do that either. It doesn't work that way. It'd be nice if they did, but it just doesn't work that way. And so this is what we're talking about when we say supporting your local church. So tonight, if you will, just allow me. I want to give you some things about the independent local church and give you some things about the structure of it and hopefully it'll give you a little bit of an understanding of the local church. So first of all, I'd like to say the foundation of the local church is Jesus Christ. Now I've got a bunch of messages where I preach this because it's so true that he is the foundation of it. The foundation of the local church is not a pastor. The foundation of the local church is not um, in uh, the deacons. The foundation of the local church is not in the board of deacons or the trustees. The The foundation of the local church is Jesus Christ. That's what it's built upon and that's what it ought to grow by is the Lord Jesus Christ. The foundation of the local church is not concrete and rebar. The foundation of the local church is not mortar. The foundation of the local church is not a thing, the foundation of the local church is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of it. So if you go to a church and the foundation and the founder is not Jesus Christ, then you ought to get out of there as fast as you got in there. That's what the local church ought to be built on. Jesus is the foundation of the local church. And he, sa- he tells us that much in verse number 18 of our text. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's saying, upon me, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the church is not built on a rock. The church is built on the rock. In the Old Testament, Christ was Israel's rock according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 1 through 5. He was that rock that they drank from is what he says. In the New Testament, Christ is the rock on which the church is built. In essence, He is the rock of ages. (laughs) He always has been. He always is and He always will be. So He is the rock of ages. First Corinthians 3.11 said, For other foundation can no man lay than in that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of the church. Now don't buy into this Vatican's view that Peter was the first pope. Yeah, it's just, it's nonsense. The, the thought that, of course, they're, you know, popes are not even scriptural anyway, but, but anyway, don't even buy into that stuff. But what they do is they take our text here and they'll use this text to show that Peter was the first pope. Because what they say is in verse 18, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. So what they say is the Lord was talking to Peter and he says, Peter, upon you, you're the rock. Upon you I will build my church. So they say that the church is the first pope was Peter. Now, if you use the Catholics' interpretation of this scripture, then you're going to get into a mess. Because watch this now. I already read verse 18 to you, so if you will, jump down to verse 23. And he, Jesus turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savers not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. If you use the Catholic's interpretation that the first pope was Peter, then what you have is you have the first pope being called Satan. That's what you have in, in verse number 23. Technically what it was is, um, I know a lot of commentaries say, well, you got Peter here and you got Jesus here, and Jesus was talking to Peter, but actually the devil was behind Peter, so he really wasn't talking to Peter, he was talking to the devil behind him. <laughs> now you have to actually read that into the text to say that, because that's not what the text says. If you look at it again, it says, but he, Jesus, turned and said unto who? Peter, he didn't say to the guy behind Peter, he said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, at that point, Satan was filled with the devil. You say, I thought you said that Christians couldn't be possessed by the devil. Well, a born again child of God, uh, a born again child of God can't be. But here there is no born again doctrine at this point. That doesn't take place till Acts chapter number 2 doctrinally. That's when the Holy Spirit of God comes down and baptizes them into the body of Christ. And so here we find Peter is filled with the devil in verse number 23. So here you would have the first pope being filled with the devil uh, according to the Catholic Church's teachings. And I can truly say tonight that there's no hope in the Pope. You see, Jesus is the only foundation of the church. That's the bottom line. Now this church, our church, if if, if I can narrow it down, is built on nothing less... Than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what it ought to be built upon. I mean, you know, that's the foundation, and then you build up from there. You know, that's what you do. You know, you got to dig the footers, you pour the concrete, because you want to build your house on a rock, right? You don't want to build it on sinking sand. You don't want to just build it on the ground. uh, So you build it upon a rock. So hopefully that thing will last you for years down the road. And that's the way the church is. It's built upon the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is an eternal rock. Remember the rock of ages. It's an eternal rock, and the foundation of this. uh, A building will never crumble. Now, we don't use, as the Catholic Church would do, we don't use infant baptism because that's not Bible baptism. Now, I say that because they use that as a foundation for washing away your original sins. And so as as an infant, they would wash their sins away by christening them. So the way to heaven tonight is not by baptism, it's by the way of the cross. That's the way to heaven. It's by trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We don't receive Jesus Christ by a wafer. We don't receive Jesus Christ by taking of wine. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. They teach that that wafer and that wine literally turns into the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked about this before, but if you believe that, then you what you're teaching in essence is cannibalism. It literally turns into flesh and blood. So you're eating the body of Christ. That's cannibalism. I don't think anybody here tonight believes that it's okay to eat human flesh. I, just, I don't know. If you do, you're just a wacko. And, I, and I'll tell you that to your face. You're a wacko. You're off your rocker. Um, we don't use confession booths. You know, we can go straight to the Father. I don't need to tell some guy all of my problems and faults and failures and my sins in order for him to tell me what I need to do in order to get my sins atoned for. My sins were atoned for at the cross of Calvary, and when I believed on Jesus Christ, He washed all my sins away, and now I can enter into the throne room of heaven on my own knees. I don't need a confession booth. I've got Jesus Christ. I've got my bedroom. I've got my bathroom. I've got my living room. I've got my den. I've got my office. I've got the altar here where I can get down and I can pray and I can my prayers can go straight to God without having to go through a Catholic priest or a Catholic father. The Bible says that when Jesus gave up the ghost and died on the cross, the veil in the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Every Catholic priest missed that fact. Because you see, the thing of it is is it, it rent in twain from top to the bottom giving you and I access to go straight to God. That was in the temple. So now we no longer have the priesthood as it was set up in the Old Testament. Now we have the priesthood of the believer, that you and I, as a believer, can go to God the Father. We don't have to claim our good works. We claim the work that Jesus Christ has already done. You see, Jesus built only one church, one church and one church only. He said, I will build my church. That means there's a singular church, one church. It's His church because He made the members. Colossians 116 it's his church because he purchased it with his own blood acts 2028 20, it's his church because he is the head of the church and the church is the body ephesians 1 and 23 it's his church because he is our bridegroom and we are his bride Ephesians 5 verse 22 and through 32 you see it's Jesus's church all local churches built on Jesus make up one body. Now, what we do a lot of times, I know what we'll say is, we'll say, well, we're going down to Brother Ronnie's church, or we're going down to Brother Gene's church, or we're going down to Brother Sam's church, and what it is is these are pastors of these churches, and so we just say it that way. But we know what we mean. We're not saying that that church is built on them. That church ought to be built on Jesus Christ. It's not built upon a man like you and me, you see. Then people say, well, we're going to Tony Miller's church. No, really, this is God's church. This is the Lord Jesus Christ church. He just put me as the pastor. Now, all local churches built on Jesus make up one body. After all, the building is not the church, is it? People, the people are the church. Tonight, if you're saved, you are a part of the body of Christ, the church, in that sense. Now, you can be saved and not a part of the local church, but you can't, you can't be saved and not a part of the body of Christ. So those are two different things. That's why I started the, the uh, introduction out with letting you know there's two, two church, two types of churches, or, or the word church is used in two different contexts. Now, Christ's church has been here at least since Acts chapter number 2, and it hasn't went anywhere since. Now, why do I say that? Because there's those that in history, they believe that the church kind of, it started out and then it disappeared and then it kind of reappeared again as you went along. Some say the church went away and it's come back. And uh, those would be like the Catholic church believes that, the the disciples of Christ, or I think what they call themselves the Church of Christ now, they believe that. But uh you, you say, well, how do you know that they believe that? Well, the disciples of Christ didn't show up until the mid 1800s. Then they know that. They know that it didn't show up until the mid 1800s. So the way around that is they say, well, the church started out and then it wasn't around for a while. And then in the 1800s, here we are. And now we're the one true church. Now that's what the, that's what the church of Christ will tell you. They are the one true church. Do you know what other church tells you that? The Catholic Church says they're the one true church. You better be careful about that because that's how cults get started is if you've got to go through the mother church or the one true church in order to get to heaven, that's a cult. You don't have to go through a church. There's been many a people that I've knocked on their doors and led into the Lord Jesus Christ right there in their living room without having to come to church or go through a church. You don't have to go to church in order to get saved. A lot of people's attitude is just that though. But if that's the case... And the church didn't show up again until the mid, uh, around the 1800s. Then what happened to the church that Jesus said in chapter 16 and verse 18? He said that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church, <laughs> evidently the gates of hell prevailed against it for a while because where did it go? You see, you've got some problems there that you've got to reconcile if you're not careful. So, um, and so we see the founder, uh, the foundation of the church. Number two, let's talk about the framing of the local church. The framing of the local church. The churches were, that were established by the apostles were all independent churches. They were all independent. You see, uh, we call ourselves independent Baptists. A lot of people are running from that. Really, the way that the independent Baptist movement came about was out of the Southern Baptists. Uh, Southern Baptists at one time were legalistic minded, and the people got put out with that, so they decided to. That's why they called an Independent Baptist movement. They come out of the Southern Baptists, and then now we're Independent Baptists. And so, you know, uh, but that's a name. Ultimately, what it goes back to is, are you a Bible believer? That's what it goes back to—that you rightly divide the Bible. And so, churches uh, that are were established by the apostles were independent; they were free from all outside control. There were no conventions, there were no associations. There were no conferences. There was; They were just all independent and they didn't have any fellowships or anything like that. The church at Rome didn't control the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth didn't control the church at Galatia. The church at Galatia didn't control the church at Ephesus. They didn't control one another. Though they may have helped each other out at times and and took up a collection to help the poor saints of God at other churches, they didn't control one another. They just helped one another out. Now also in the Bible, New Testament churches they don't have boards and committees controlling everything there's no boards or committees in the bible at all if you want to stay a new testament local church then you're going to stick to the 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 structure the frame that god has laid out in his word each local body was self govern a self-governed body they chose their own officers, Acts six, verses one through seven. They exercised their own discipline, first Corinthians five, thirteen. Internal problems were handled by the congregation, first Corinthians six, verses one through five. Upkeep of Bible doctrine was the responsibility of the local assembly, first Timothy three, fifteen. Revelation two, verses fourteen through sixteen. The Holy Spirit directs the body of believers in Acts thirteen and verse one and two. You see we're not controlled by any denomination. We're not controlled by any outside source. We are independent of those types of things. We are we own our own land. We own our own building. Of course, I guess actually technically the bank has it, don't they? But but you know what I mean? We we own it uh, ourselves. We uh, the fellowship hall from one end of the building it's ours. The van it's ours. You know, that's no outside source tells us when we can use it. No outside source tells us how we can use it. You see we determine how we use it. Now, according to Acts chapter number 20 and verse 28, you've got a pastor that oversees the flock. So we submit ourselves to the pastor as he watches for our soul. Hebrews 13, 17. And what God does is God uses His man to direct His church. That's the way He's done it. That's the way He's always done it. Even from the very beginning. You see, the church is not a democracy. People have this idea. See, what you are is you are in the Laodicea church age. We're gonna get there. We're eventually gonna get there. But we'll talk about that just for a few minutes. But what it what it means, Laodicea, it means rights of the people. And that's the age in which we live. People say, I got a right to have a gun. I got a right to free speech. I got a right for this. I got a right for that. But you see, that's this Laodicea church, or this Laodicea age mentality, and it's infiltrated into the church, and now we all say, Well, I got a right. Well, if that's the case, then you got a right to change the temperature of the thermostat, but then the person behind you has the right to come back behind you and change it from what you changed it. And then, well, I don't like the light so bright, so we're going to hit the dimmer on it. And then, I, well, I don't want all these lights on, so let's just turn half of them on. Who gets to decide all of that? You see, if we're not careful, this thing turns into a democracy, but then it turns into a a, a demonocracy is what it'll end up turning into. We'll have slugfest in the parking lot. You, see, you have to be careful. So the church is not a pure democracy. Even America itself is not a pure democracy. It's, it's a republic is what it is, but, but it's not a pure democracy. Well, the church is not a pure democracy. Do you know what the church is? It's a theocracy. It's just like the Lord did it back in the Old Testament. God spoke to Moses and told Moses to tell the people, and then He told the people, and the people did it. And that's the way it works, and God has always worked that way, where God uses a man to lead a group of people. That's called a theocracy, and the, the local church is similar to that. So the congregation prayerfully considers a candidate as God's man for them. He's not sent by an organization. He's not sent by some outside source. He may have a college degree. He may not have a college degree. Some of the best preachers you'll ever meet have never been to school one day in their life. I mean, just the, you know, sometimes if you're not careful, it makes them worse. And so he's he's not up for being transferred. He's not up for re-election or anything like that. As an independent local church, we are free to obey God as God directs, and we are not under one drop of pressure from an outside source or organization whatsoever. And so we're talking about uh the independent local church. We're talking about the framework of it and how it's set up. And so the independent local church is free to obey God as God directs the local church. This is some of the framing of the independent local church. Then number three... Notice the center of the local church. Now, the foundation is Jesus Christ. And He's the center of our services. But, but let me be more specific. It's the Word of God that's the center of our services. You ever wonder why every time you come to church, there's preaching? <laughs> there's a reason for that. Everything is it, it revolves around preaching. You've got the singing, the testifying, and things like Everything revolves around the Word of God. You'll notice here, almost everyone brings a Bible. As you look around, most everybody brings a Bible. The preacher says, take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16, and we'll begin reading in verse number 17, and everybody takes their Bible and opens it up. Why? Because you hold the pulpit accountable that he's preaching the Word of God. Number one, I mean, if you don't have a Bible with you, how do you know I'm preaching you the truth? Well, it sounds good. Well, a lot of things that a lot of preachers say sound good, but it don't make it right. I've heard a lot of stuff on TV might make me feel good and might make me make me him sound good, but it may not be right. Just because it's good doesn't make it right. Um, you know, the tree was good for knowledge, but that didn't make it right. You know, that tri- tree of knowledge of good and evil. And uh, so the, the center of the local church is the Word of God. The Bible is used in this ministry here. We use the King James Bible. The text is read as the congregation follows along. Then the Bible is preached here in a message that God has given me to give to you. And that's what, what that's what we want to do. We want to build this thing on the scriptures, is what we want to do. Everything we do here is centered around the Bible. Our services that we have, our regular services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, we deliver a Bible message. I could go to the Daily Bread and open it up and read you a little, you know, ten-minute devotional, and and we could all praise God and go home shouting it out, right? But you know what you want tonight? You don't want some opinion from the Daily Bread. The Daily Bread might be a good thing. I don't know. I ain't read it for in years, but it might be a Good thing, but it's not the Word of God. So we want the Word of God. So we use it at regular services, in revival meetings, when we have preachers to come in. We're going to have preachers of like-minded faith. They may not believe exactly everything that we do, but the main things are going to be there. And so, and one of the things that's going to be there is they're going to preach from a King James Bible. We're going to make that a requirement. We make that a requirement through the entire church, through Sunday school or children's church and all of that. We're going to use King James Version only. Why? Because we are King James Version only. That makes sense, don't it? That's the simplest way to put it. <laughs> but we believe the Bible is the final authority on all matters. So that's the center of the local church. Then number four, let's talk about the membership of the local church. You see, those that have been saved and have followed the Lord in believers' baptism can join the local church. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter... I'm going to turn there. Matthew chapter 28, and uh, he says in verse 18, "...and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost." And he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. I, well, he just commanded him in verse 19 to do something, didn't he? He said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. So that's why we make baptism a requirement. I don't find where Paul ever let up on the, put it, took his foot up off the pedal when it comes to that thing right there. Paul even baptized some folks. But, but nonetheless, we've got uh, baptism. You got to be saved first. Then you're baptized. Water baptism pictures what spiritually took place, right? When you got saved, you died to yourself and you were raised in newness of life. That's death, burial, and resurrection. You're identified with Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. And so you're identified with Christ. When you're standing in the water, that's a picture of the death of yourself, and then when you're immersed in water, that's a picture you you being buried with Christ, and then when you come up out of it, that's a picture of being resurrected in newness of life with Christ. So it's a picture. It's a like figure. Peter tells us that baptism is a like figure of our salvation. A like figure is not the true thing. It's a It's a figure. Otherwise, it would be the true thing. So it's it's a like figure of when we got saved. So born again is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. Salvation is not found in a priest. Salvation is not found in a preacher. Though God uses a preacher to evangelize, but it's not found in Him. It's not within the preacher's self that He can save anybody. It's found only putting 100% faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross of Calvary. Acts 2.47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added. The Lord added to the church daily, as such should be saved. See that. So the Lord added it. It wasn't the preacher that added it. It wasn't getting your name on the church roll or the church membership that added it to the church. Because he's talking about the body of Christ. You know, you can die a saved person and go to heaven and not be a member of a local church. You certainly can. Uh, but, but, you know, but we're going to talk about membership here in just a second, but, but the local church is supported by its members. And so by your prayers, by your attendance, we've already said earlier, and then by giving liberally from, from the heart. And, uh, I'm glad. I'm thankful that we don't have to have a bunch of bake sales you know, rummage sales and stuff like that to pay bills and stuff. I'm glad we don't have to do that. What a mess that we'd be in if we had to do that. We don't have to sell raffle tickets in order to make money, in order to pay the bills and stuff. A lot of churches do that kind of thing. And I'll be careful how I'm going to criticize them, but I'm thankful that we don't have to do anything like that. Thank God that God supplies our need. Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I've always had this mentality, and I, I hope that I'll always continue to have it is that if 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 it's something that God wants then he'll finance it if it's something that God wants then he'll give us what we need in order to make it happen and then if it ever comes to a place where we don't have it and we can't do it then evidently we didn't need it because God would have supplied the need because that's the promise that he gives you and I in Philippians 4:19 you see we base our faith in the scriptures right and he said, I'll supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So evidently, if it financially isn't supported, then it must not have been a need that God wanted. And so that's how you know that's how I viewed that for a long time now. And so to be a member of the church, a part of the body of Christ, you've got to be born again. You've got to be saved. If you want to be a member, you have to be born again. That's what Jesus said. And if that is the qualification for being a member of the body of Christ, And there's also true that there's an order to it in order to become a member of the local church. Every saved person, I believe this all my heart, every saved person ought to belong to a local church. You ought to have a place where you can call home. Now, now listen, if you're not a member of this church, I'm not pushing anybody to become a member, not whatsoever. Uh, I believe you ought to follow the Lord on that thing. I believe that's between you and God as far as that goes. I mean, I've seen people come to our church over the years and they'll come for six months and then they'll just go to another church. They never joined or anything. They wanted to see if that's what God wanted for them. I respect that. I really do. So I I never push anybody into church. You know what? If you push somebody into church membership, what if they're troubled church members? Now what I got on my hands, you know? (laughs) Now I'm kind of stuck with them. Or they're stuck with me, is more like it, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I can be a goat sometimes too. See, y'all just see the loving side of me where I just sweet Tony Miller with a smile on my face all the time. But then when you come in my office and we shut the door, no, nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just cutting up. I'm still sweet, kind Tony Miller. Ask anybody. I'm a teddy bear, right, Brother Jim? I'm just a teddy bear. <laughs> Oh my. Every saved person should belong to an independent, local, Bible believing church. And so if you don't, I'd encourage you to find one and support it. And I just might would add, and I'm biased, we have a good one here. <laughs> I just might add that. So if you're looking for the perfect church tonight, then when you walk out the doors, keep on walking. This is not a perfect church. You wanna know how I know that? Because I'm looking around at a bunch of people that are not perfect. You're looking at a person tonight that's not perfect. See, the church is made up of people. And so as long as we're not perfect, you're not going to find a perfect church. But if you're looking for a perfect church, then don't join it because it won't be perfect at that point then. <laughs> but if you're interested in becoming a member, then I always encourage people to talk to me. You say, well, why do I need to become a member? Well, there's many reasons. I mean, I could, I could list a whole bunch of reasons for why a person ought to belong to a church. Well, number one, because things are done in decent and in order. And that's what he says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that things are to be done in decent and in order, and it gives some order to that thing. Do you realize that people could just come in and they could take over your church if we didn't have church membership? I mean, you think about that for a second. That would be damaging, wouldn't it? How about a bunch of homosexuals come in and they outnumber us and they take over the church? Well, that'd be a mess, wouldn't it? Because then at that point, whatever whoever's there qualifies as a quorum. So how do you keep control of your church? Well, you do that through church membership. It legally protects you. There's some legal protection when it comes to that. So another reason is because it gives you a greater sense of belonging somewhere. I like to have a place that I call home. (laughs) You know, that's what I like. And so, uh, it's a lot of places have membership anyway. Think about it for a second. How many of you shop at Sam's? You know what you gotta have? You gotta have membership. You know what? I I used to belong to a gym. I know you can tell it and all, right? But I used to belong to a gym. The key word is I used to belong to a gym. (laughs) That's a day... Never mind. Let me get off that. But I had to pay membership for that. The church doesn't require you to pay anything to be a member. If you want to give, give. If you don't, then be a Scrooge and keep it. But, you know, you can be a member without having to give. You can do that. Uh, You know, I mean, if you wanted to be a member... Listen, if you wanted to bank at the credit union you got to be a member, don't you? You see, there are certain qualifications, but all of a sudden when it comes to church and we think, well, you see, what it does is it helps to give you a sense of accountability too. You're accountable to somebody else. Otherwise, people just, people that don't, that don't join churches and they don't have this, the mentality of church membership, they kind of come and they can kind of go and just kind of, you know, ease in and out. I've seen that over the years. And, uh, and, you know, it's not always the case, but I've seen that down through the years. And so what membership does is it gives you a sense that you belong somewhere and you're accountable to some, somebody, like your pastor. He watches over your soul, right? And so that's the way the scriptures look at that thing. So our church, East River Baptist Church, It carries some of these beautiful biblical characteristics of being an independent, Bible-believing, biblical church. I hope that just gave you a few things here tonight to give you some insight. Let's all bow our heads, if you will.